BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the debrief on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. And as you can imagine, well, we've got to talk about VAR, haven't we? We've got to talk about the standard of officiating because it really is the hot topic right now. I've got the perfect guest to do that alongside me. Thank you for joining us on the debrief on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's do it. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Debrief on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, the show on which we venture away from Arsenal and we talk about bigger footballing topics. Now, Arsenal uh, are a big part of the conversation this week because of everything that's unfolded, because of Mikel Arteta's strong words with regards to the standard of officiating, because of the club's statement that then followed backing him up. So um, there is going to be a bit more Arsenal talk on this edition of the debrief than normal. But look, we have to talk about VAR. We have to talk about the standard of officiating. I don't even enjoy doing these shows, right? Because I feel like we always have to come back to this every so often and we shouldn't be coming back to it, right? We should be seeing improvement. And I think everybody accepts and acknowledges that this is a really, really difficult job that we're asking officials to do. And it's very difficult to maintain a high standard. I don't think anyone for a second sits there and thinks it's easy. I could do a better job, but it's impossible not to get frustrated with the level of incompetence that we're seeing on a weekly basis. It's very easy to get frustrated with some of the communication or lack of that we get from the PGMOL. So on this show, uh, we've got the perfect guest to discuss this with me. It's the brilliant, uh, former head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. Keith, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a long time since we've spoken. Um, I'm glad to say that you're looking really well. How's it going? It's going fine. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, the disappointing aspect is the continuing uh, criticism of match officials, which I have to say, at the moment, is deserved. You know, I don't think any fan, and I'm a fan now, um, can be satisfied with the quality and level of performance that we're getting from match officials. It's not good enough. You're totally right. You're totally right. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with you quite a long time ago about VAR and how it needed to be introduced and how, you know, we'd got to a point where there were way too many mistakes. It was influencing the outcome of games. And so something needed to be done. And I think we both agreed that VAR would be and and could be and should be a good thing. What we've seen happen, though, is that, over the course of its kind of introduction and then greater implementation is is actually bringing up more questions now. And it's, I think, shining a spotlight on some of the poor officials. 
Um, yeah. So what have you made of the way that VAR has been implemented in the Premier League just in general? And, you know, do you do you think that it's down to the, the people operating it? Do you think that it's a flawed concept? Kind of where are you at, generally speaking, on the subject of VAR? Well, as you know, Harry, I'm a strong believer in the use of technology. I introduced the communication kits and I was at the forefront of standing up in front of the Premier League owners and saying, I want goal line technology. Interestingly, with goal line technology, I said to Hawkeye in that development phase, I don't want any conversation. All I want the system to say is that's a goal. And I think we've seen technology work in both the communication kits and goal line technology. The interesting bit about communication kits was when we first introduced them, the discussions were chaotic. It was a commentary by the assistant referees to the referee. I had to interject very quickly, get the referees and the match officials all around the table and say, look, we're going to thrash out a criteria here in terms of what to say, when to say. Now, it's not me being strict. It was actually saying I need clarity to the referee as to what's happening. So VAR at the moment, I don't think anyone can say that VAR is not impacting on the game in a negative manner. It's um, for the referees, it's created lazy referees. Something that I was guarded against very early on by that Welsh Rugby Union referee who made it, Nigel Owens, who made it very clear that the use of this technology could lead up to us having lazy refereeing. An over-reliance on VAR and at times a lack of commitment and selling of the decision, hesitancy in the call on the thought of maybe the guy upstairs at Stockley Park is going to help me out. The communication is absolutely chaotic. As a result of that, it's extending the time it's taking to make the decisions. And so that needs to be sorted and sorted quickly. I'm very clear it's not delivering on what it's supposed to deliver. I think when we come to the offside situation uh, and the drawing of lines and all that takes place, it, that in itself doesn't lack, it doesn't give for me the comfort that it's accurate. It seems loose. So the answer to that is very clear. The FA and the Football League and the Premier League have to invest money in providing the semi-automated system which uses AI, which has points on every sort of part of the body of the, the every player and can give us an accurate offside position decision. Then the referee or the assistant referee will make the call. So I'm clear that there's hesitancy in decisions, there's inaccuracy in the outcomes. When you, you know, we can see on the screen if we're at home what's going off and we can say, no, that's the wrong call. Um, and then a justification that actually confuses the fans. Let me upset people here by talking about the, the Havertz situation. I could also talk in, in similar fashion about, about the illegal use of the elbow. And I also want to say that in relation to the, to, uh, the goal that was allowed should, in my opinion, have not been allowed because there was a push. 
Now, if we take the push as a simple aspect, yep. when an arm is bent and it straightens with the flat of an hand on the opponent, that is a push. It fulfills it. So a simple decision, the complicated decision was, is the ball out of play or not? That's the complicated decision. And because there's no investment in uh, producing Orkai between outside goalpost and corner flag, then you're going to get that type of call. So justification of the balls out of play, the technology that they're using will not give us that picture. And the difficulty here is a, a sphere, the outer circumference of the ball, could still be in contact with the line when it's projected down. Yeah. To, so, to be clear as well, Keith, to yeah. be clear, I I said on, on the show that we did after the game that for me, you know, the, the issue wasn't the ball, whether it was in or out. You know, I yeah. couldn't have been sure of that. You know, yeah. I, it's impossible to tell from the angles that we were provided. But I'm glad you, you highlighted the push because that yeah. for me, along with Bruno Gimaraish not being sent off, were the two things in that game that really frustrated me. Now, at the time... I didn't think Kai Havertz should have been sent off. I thought when I first saw him launch in the way he did, I thought, oh my God, this is a red card. When I saw it again, I thought, okay, I think a yellow is okay. But I accept that there is an argument that he should have been sent off. And yeah. you're far more of an expert in these matters than I am. So, you know... Well, let, let me, just, let me yeah. Harry, give you the clarity on law. When a, when a player launches himself off the ground, either one or two feet forward, he is effectively out of control. He cannot stop because he's in flight. And the outcome is, is the landing zone. Now, here the argument is that because the, the player only partly landed on the opponent, he didn't endanger the safety of his opponent. But in law, what one might surprise you is that we had it a few years ago. We had a situation where Steve Bennett was the referee at Old Trafford. And he sent Cristiano Ronaldo off for a, a lunge in a similar fashion that missed the opponent. I have to tell you at the time, I thought as the boss of the referees, that was a bit harsh, the red card. So I made contact with the IFAB, the lawmakers, and I asked for clarification. They said quite clearly, the action of the player in moving over distance at speed, off the ground with one or two feet forward, is very clearly a player who is out of control and at that point is endangered the safety of an opponent. But what we've got is we've got a skewed interpretation coming out of PGMOL that has a belief that if the landing area is around the ankle of the opponent or he only part gets the opponent, that is acceptable. That is incorrect. So would that, would that mean that sort of going back to the, the Spurs-Chelsea game last night, that um, Destiny Udogi should yes. have been sent off as well? Yes. And that, that that is where the bar at the moment is being set high on these things. I mean, like a simple push is seen as a or, or being explained as, well, it wasn't strong enough. <laughs> Tell me in law, law 12 says, a pushing offence is an offence. A push is an offence on an opponent. It doesn't talk about the intensity of that push. It just says a push. And what you had was Joe Linton climbing on the back of the opponent. That's the first bit. Yes, his momentum's going forward. 
he puts his hands on the player and what can the Arsenal player do other than that goal should not have been allowed. So as a result of that, you know, the outburst of, of the manager, which I've criticised, and the reason I, I criticise is because I want all managers to use the systems that are in place. 30 minutes after the game, Mikhail Arteta can knock on the referee's door and seek clarification. He can get his point across. There's a match delegate there from the Premier League, an ex-player or manager. He can have a conversation with him and explain his disappointment in the refereeing performance and the inconsistency. He can go to the LMA and ask and seek their support and guidance. And he can also talk to the Premier League and at the end of the day, talk to the PGMOL, probably. Uh, how just, just, just on that though, Keith. Yeah. Do you think? Because obviously, look, this this outburst from Mikel Arteta. You know, I think it comes from more than just what we saw on Saturday. I think yes. if you go back to last season, there were a few decisions where the PGMOL actually came out and apologised. And I'll get onto this whole apology thing in a bit. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, public yeah. apology thing in a bit. Yeah. But they came out and apologised. And and I guess Mikel Arteta probably felt. And I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate for the argument here, well, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. I I think that he has seen these things happen over the course of a period of time, probably seeked to go down those routes that you've mentioned, felt that he's not getting anywhere. And in the heat of the moment, you know, he, he's gone off on one and, and that's, that's yeah. what he's done. And I think Arsenal fans generally feel like it was okay that he did what he did. I, I know that the rest of the world has, has yeah, sort yeah. of yeah. looked at it in a very different, and I understand that when you take the tribalism out of it, you know, it's different, isn't it? And I, and I always say, that one of the big problems we have with officiating is that tribalism creates this grey area where incompetence, in my opinion, is allowed to, to breed and grow. Because if it's not your team, you don't make a song and dance about it. You don't shout about it. But the next week, it could be your team. And then yeah. you are going to make a song and yeah. dance about it. And the other side are not. So in the end, what you have is you never get everybody on a united front. Well, and you, go yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's passion. Football's a disease, Harry. We've, we've all got it. We, we can't have an injection. We're passionate about the teams that we support. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you've got technically a very, very competent manager who was an outstanding player who has learned his role. And that outburst is about frustration because, you know, I'll put it plainly from a a balanced point of view, and that is, if he's not happy with refereeing, neither am I as a, as a so-called expert. You know, we've I've mentioned regularly now my concerns about how the referees are being managed and how they're refereeing and levels of accountability. And I don't see any of it at the moment. And, and in fairness to Howard Webb, because... He's inherited a declining group of referees thanks to the poor management of Mike Riley, the former boss, who I've been in the press and in the media for a number of years criticising him as an individual managing the referees. Because the, my benchmark when I was the boss of the PGMOL was Pierre-Luigi Colina. I wanted everybody to reach his standard. Sadly, we've seen the decline and we've got a very small number of what I considered to be world-class referees, whereas perhaps in my day we had about 10 out of the 20 
that off, off the top of off the top of your head, how many would you say that we have now in the Premier League? Four, and I'm struggling after that. Yeah, if I'm 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 comparing them to Pierre Luigi Colina in the past, and that might be the wrong thing to do. I don't think it is. I measured Colina on the fact that he, his distance covered was eleven and a half thousand meters. He covered a thousand meters at seven meters per second. His accuracy of decision making, because of his pre-planning and preparation, was was outstanding. You know, okay, the pre-GML are going to come out at some stage and say we're ninety odd percent accurate. Well, yeah, you ought to be getting throw-ins and corner kicks <laughs> correct because they're included in the stats. Don't fudge the issue. We've got a we've got a problem with the standard of officiating. But I look at the middle management team. The SG1 manager working under Howard Webb is is John Moss. John Moss was not an international referee. There lies a problem. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you know that when there's changes, there's a dip and whatever, but we've got referees going out and repeating the same problems. And therefore... What we used to do, first of all, we had assessors at the ground. They've now got coaches, but not covering every game. They have match delegates who are former managers and players. I introduced that because I wanted a balance against the technical side of refereeing and the management of players and the movement and the accuracy of decisions. Um, And what we've got at the moment is we've almost got... Back, gone back to policemen, policing policemen again. I'm not being disrespectful to policemen. I'm actually saying it's in shot and not exposed enough. And this is why, you know, when we actually look, transparency is the answer. Don't fudge it. Actually say, look, Stuart Atwell had a poor game. I don't want him hung. I just want to say he's out of the game for a week or two. Why? Because he needs some operational advice. Because sitting as the boss, I'm not happy with his standard of performance. This is no different to Mikel Arteta with the players. He's got players who go out of form. They might be suffering a niggle or whatever. But he's going to select the best team for that weekend. And it seems to me we've got a small group of referees who we can call on. That's the first bit. The yeah. second bit is this. So we have Andy Madley, is the VAR, a reasonably competent referee developing his game. But he's VAR in that Newcastle Arsenal game. <clears throat> so he didn't, he didn't ask uh, referee Atwell to go and have a look at that push. Because we're hung up on what's clear and obvious. Well, for me, it's clear and obvious that's a push. So the goal should be disallowed. But the VAR wasn't used because the VAR saying, well, it's not clear and obvious. (laughs) Well, to everybody else, it was. Do you think we need to to scrap this clear and obvious thing? Because for me, it always felt like a term that they could hide behind. And and that's what it's turned into. Well, I think it has. You know, I I think that what we've got to look at is, does it, you know, in referee, does it look right? Does it look right? If you look the, if you look at the combination and growth of is the ball out of play? Is it offside? Is it a push? At the ultimate end is 
would I naturally be accepting that that's a goal? Answer no. So here we have Andy Madley, VAR, Stockley Park. The next day, he's refereeing Luton versus Liverpool. He's got the baggage of all that game between uh, Newcastle and Arsenal. He's carrying it psychologically. He's tired because he's, he's, he's got to be mentally focused on the game. So I'm clear. I mean, I've been saying it now for the last three years. I mean, remember that the PGMOL have now been operating five years with VAR. And, and I, I have to say, um, the fudging answers that we're getting from the PGMOL, statements that sometimes are inaccurate in law. So I don't know who's making those statements. They've slowed down a little bit because they were being found out that they're not courting law. Ultimately, the basis of which you have to operate is accuracy in law knowledge. So for me, the VAR has to improve. It will only improve when, just like that golfer, and I don't know if you play golf, I don't, but the more you play, the better you become, or at least you become slightly more competent. The better, you know, we talk about 10,000 uses for body language mechanics and all that goes with it. The more you do it, the better. So for me, reduce the number of referees, create a panel of VAR specialists who are trained, monitored in terms of performance after every game, and then get your referees in a room and talk through the Newcastle Arsenal game and others this weekend yep. and say, look, you, Mr. Referee, Mr. Atwell, come to the front of the room. It's not a class here where you're going to get ad admonished. What we want to know is talk us through how you came to that decision. VAR, you're present in that room. Talk us through how you judged that was not a red card. Talk us through and justify why you believe that goal was correct. With all the other referees then involved in that discussion, and then if you're a strong leader, you shape the conversation to an outcome that says, in the future, with a similar scenario, we're going to do this. Yeah. You know? I mean, look. They set off with an agenda at the beginning of the season on timing issues. Um, we saw we saw the extension of time yesterday because it was it was drifting, wasn't it, to two minutes again? And we've seen a plethora of yellow cards, and and, and the result of, and I just put my hands in my head because um, my head in my hands because once you start flashing yellow cards, Harry you're then going to finish up with a red on two technical offences. Now, I talked about law application, but there are areas of man management. And referees are not using the step process that we've used over many years. That's the quiet word. You run alongside the player and you say, hey, come on, calm down. You can see a player's losing it. But I, I think that comes from, like, go back to your day when you, when you were refereeing. Even sort of 
take it further on, right? I remember sort of, let's use Howard Webb as an example, right? I didn't, I'm an Arsenal fan, right? So if I'm going to be completely open and honest, there was always a feeling that Howard Webb, you know, look, I'm not going to say he had a thing against Arsenal because that's not fair for me to say, but you know, there was a, there were certain referees that you looked at and when, when you knew they were refereeing your game, you thought, Oh God, here we go. But there was some respect for them. There was an authority that they had on the pitch Mm. and VAR's introduction for me has taken away some of that authority, but it's not just down to VAR because it's down to some of the characters that we have in terms of referees. They don't come across as leaders. They don't come across as people, uh, you know, that have authority. They come across as school teachers looking for any little reason to punish you. And, you know, maybe that's an unfair comment, but I'm just coming at it from a purely fan perspective. That's how it feels sometimes. Like sometimes it's petty, like sometimes they're pedantic. And when once that sort of attitude starts to come across or that's the perception, then it becomes difficult, doesn't it, for them to have the quiet yeah. word and it be taken yeah. seriously. If if you did it, I'm sure the player would go, yeah, hold on a minute. You know, I need to buck up my ideas here. But when Stuart Atwell does it, it doesn't have the same impact. No, I think I think this is about personality. And what we're seeing is we, we're not seeing referees of, of the likes of Paul Halsey, Webb and others. Paul Durkin, who had great personality, and um, and they they mixed it a bit with the players. I don't mean that <coughs> from an entertaining point of view. On the field of play, they exchanged. When the referee said, "Hey, you know, referee, come on," the referee had respond and say, "Hey, you've just missed an open goal, mate. Don't have a go at me," you know. And I think that this this sort of camaraderie is more difficult because of a lot of overseas players and their reactions. I don't want to just blame them as cross the board because that would be wrong. Each player has his own personality and the referee should adjust to that. You know that if that player is Latin, they talk with their hands and arms. They're more uh, picturesque and they look more aggressive at times. When in fact, if you chat to them, they're not. And and it's, it's, it's having that ability to be able to say, look, I'm going onto the field of play. I'm going to cross the white line. And the, the least I want is for me to be in the in the, the mind's eye of the individual. I, go, I want to be low key. I've got a job to do and I'll come in. And when I come in, I'll sell the decision. I'll not put a finger in the air saying, nah, is it a penalty? I'm waiting for somebody telling me in my ear, I'll point at the mark, because that's not selling a decision. It's passion. Referees have to have passion. And, you know, but they've also got to actually uh, be human and at the same time remain fairly calm. In a fairly hectic game last night in the Spurs match, um, Michael Oliver remained, his body language was neutral and calm. He, he, he didn't lose control. He, he communicated well. He explained to the captain what had taken place. You saw that. Yet he still had to dismiss two players. Now, you know, it's the sort of performance that you want out of a referee, but there's still that delay in VAR. So for me, I think... It's like everything else. Just think if you're sat in the cinema and all of a sudden the screen goes off for three minutes. Um, you know, you're looking around in the dark 
and you start chatting and you're trying to find where the box is with the, with the popcorn in it. And, and the reality is fans at the game want to be engaged. If, you know, if you're, if, if you're a DJ, DJs, and I talk to them, will say the important thing is once you get to a level, you've got to maintain that level and the music has to flow. Yeah. Refereeing's the same. And what we've got with VAR is the fans treated like mushrooms. And I, and I keep saying it, and nothing gets done because they don't want to listen to me. I'm the old fart. But the reality is, Harry, you cannot have people who paid a lot of money to watch a game and then almost have, like if you're in the theatre, the ice cream seller coming on the stage saying, what do you want? You know, I mean, they're not, they're not engaged. So therefore, the immediate thing is there's a suspicion of corruption and a lack of integrity. Show it. Let's listen in. Look at Wayne Barnes in the final of the rugby. A difficult confrontation. He had to dismiss the captain. But we were in full. I'm not a rugby guy, but I knew what was going off. An articulate conversation, a review of an incident, and the outcome. Yeah, the All Blacks were unhappy with the decision. But the referee had the authority and integrity and composure to say, you're off. And the player, in fairness, responded in, in a fairly positive manner. Yeah. Now, we know that players at football are different. We know that the game is different. And therefore, I think we've got to get into a situation where VAR is seen as helpful to referees. But the only way we're going to do that is to have a separate panel of specialists, accountable, and... We we want the referee to lead the show and not the man at Stockley Park. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, we're going to take a really, really short pause, Keith, and then uh, we're going to continue this fascinating discussion. You're getting so much love in the comments uh, from our, our listeners uh, watching along live at the moment. I'll share some of those in just a minute, but very, very quick pause. We'll be back right after. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. It's the debrief and we've got the brilliant Keith Hackett, former FIFA referee and former head of the PGMOL on. And he's uh, writing all the wrongs in my mind anyway, uh, with regards to VAR, um, the processes that need to be in place. We've got some great questions coming through. Keep them coming and I'll pick out as many of those as I possibly can. Um, I've got a few more bits that I want to ask you, Keith, but yeah, sure. in terms of from our listeners, uh, the robots will eat you. That's an interesting name. <laughs> it says, uh, why has automated offside technology been turned down? Now, I know you're not in the PGMOL today and I know that you won't know this for fact, but why do you yeah. think they've delayed introducing this? I mean, if it's about money, I mean, that's, no, that's not a good no, no. excuse, is it? No, I don't, it's not about money. Uh, look, the, the PGMOL, when I left it, and I know things, times have changed, 
I was spending five million quid a year. The PGM Oil's latest set of accounts, 18 months old, I think two years old, is 26 million. Is wow. now being spent. So look, twenty-six million for this level of refereeing is is wild. Yeah, and that is that is, the PGMOL covers all referees at the professional level and assistant referees. So you know, um, okay, uh, I was at the forefront of the introduction of professional referees. So along with Philip Don. So the 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 scenario is that it's not a money thing, and I I, I just. I just find it incredible. I've, I've been critical of offside decisions for a number of years. You can look back historically. Because when we came to the goal line technology with Orkai, and I was heavily involved in that, we had to move from broadcast speed cameras, probably around about 100 frames per second, and install 500 frames per second cameras. There's seven cameras around each goal operating at 500 frames per second to give us an accurate decision that the ball has crossed the line. And that's in itself fairly simple to achieve. When we look at offside, there's a complex law here. It's not complex. First of all, you've got to recognize the point at which the ball is kicked forward. Now you've then got to recognize is a player in an offside position. Now, if, being in an offside position is not an offence. It only becomes an offence when he becomes active. So what you've got is you're holding two lines. The one where the ball has been kicked then gives you the line at which a determination of is the player in an offside position. And the toenail concept is a joke. It is a joke because... The speed of the broadcast cameras is not accurate enough. To give you the true picture, let, I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more. If you if you take a slice of bread and you, you have 100 slices, you pick the middle one or you pick the one where, there's a, there's a, there's a percentage error. If you have 500 slices of the same loaf of bread and you pick, you can actually pick three. And the percentage error is reduced. So the reason I want AI is because you're using 19 uh, cameras that are in, installed in the stadium, calibrated before the game, just like the ones for the goal line technology. Yep. And they're operating at speeds to give you a decision. But you're also incorporating artificial intelligence. And what artificial intelligence is able to do is give you the sweet spots of the body of every player. The, you know, the head, uh, the, 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 the point of the body, uh, the, the feet and the knees are all part of the information feedback to the computer that gives you offside position accurately. It doesn't need the lines drawn. It, because the process, just like goal line technology, we don't we don't we don't ask or question it because we know it delivers accuracy. This is where you've got to get with the offside. Do you think then, um, again, just to play devil's advocate for the purpose of the conversation, do you think that given that we've we've entered this space now where we do 
overanalyze offsides the way we do. And, and, you know, we're talking about toenails and hairs out of place and all the rest of it. Do you think that maybe we're at a point where the law needs to be re-looked at? Because we're finding it difficult to actually come to definitive conclusions on it. So do we need to change it to it's based on your feet? Do we need to change it? Do, do, do you see what I mean? Do we need to re-look I, I, that? I, Harry, there's two laws that need to be reviewed. Uh, because what we're doing is we, the IFAB are, are tinkering around laws that seem to be ignoring the actions of a player, natural actions of a player. So therefore, yes, on offside, there needs to be. And and in fairness, I thought Arsene Wenger came up with a logical answer, which was how we used to operate way back when we gave the benefit of the doubt to the forward. So for me, you know, um, I, I thought it was interesting when the manager of Spurs last night talked about, in his post-match review, the need to give the benefit of the doubt to the forward. He's absolutely spot on. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we don't want VAR to be an extra defender on the field of play and offside being an extra defender. We want goals to be allowed and therefore benefit of the doubt should go to the forward. In terms of handball, well, we can put referees in a room and we, we, we'll have an argument because 100 referees in a room, you're not going to get 100 coming out all agreeing. What you have to do is discuss it and say, these are the ones that we're going to penalise, these are the ones we're not. But we seem to have taken it, failing at times, to justify an handball decision without understanding the body mechanics of an individual. And those are different. So those are the two laws. Now, artificial intelligence and semi-automated offside system will improve the technical flow into Stockley Park. But it's then... The technology is better, for sure. But then it goes back to the human element. Yeah. And, the, it, you know, Harry, I've said this before. If you're flying an aircraft, it's amazing how, even if you've flown for a number of years, every year you have to come in and be tested on a flight simulator. Yeah. Can you deal with the chaotic? Can you deal with a, 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 a blowout on an engine? because it changes things and part of the flow is just like people here who are listening in probably play the game consoles and fifa and all that it's amazing the number of times that you do it the better you become the more fluent you're not it's like driving a car you know if you're you know when we first sit in a car we're looking at the pedals because there's three and we don't know which ones to use when we pass the test or we're at the point of passing the test, we never look at the pedals because we're natural. This is where we want VAR to get. But, you know, if we're going to start fudging the answers and not get to the meat of what needs to be done, and the ultimate thing is you've got a failing middle management team at the PGMOL. You've got a new manager that's come in, in Howard Webb. He's been there about a year now, or officially from January. Um, and I have to say, with with some regret, because I get on with Howard, um, we're not seeing any progress. And the reason we're not seeing any progress is those people that sit, that report to him, are not good enough and have to go. 
so he has to he has to make those changes right that, that was going to yes. be my next question what can Howard Webb do differently because on the one hand I kind of respect the fact that he's been like he's come in and he's gone look I know that it's not right I know that things are broken I know that I need to fix them and I know that I need to improve the relationship between referees and clubs but also referees and supporters and uh, and I admire the fact that he's come out and said yep I'm going to do this I'm going to do that he's been more open he's been far more open than yeah. Mike Riley ever was um you know and he's he's done good in that sense but on Howard Webb and the public apologies what do you make of that because as much as I sort of think well it's it's nice that they acknowledge when there's an error and it does make you feel a little bit better as a fan actually it doesn't give you back the points or give you the decision no, no. that you want no. and actually then clubs will use it as a sort of well you've apologized to us twice which means you kind of now owe us so do you think that these apologies should be done on a basis where it's agreed between the club and the PGMOL that they're not going to come out into the public eye. Like, what's your stance on the whole apologies? Because did that used to happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I used to do it. Um, and uh, at one stage was called into the office and explained, look, you don't have to apologise for every decision. And I think that was a fair call. Um, look, Howard Webb is, is, is a brilliant communicator. Um and I know behind the scenes he'll be working very hard to try and get changes in, in flow. He's inherited a lot of people. Um, uh, but, you know, look, ultimately at the end of the day, uh, you know, you, you've got to be self-sufficient in being able to say you're going. And therefore, rather than say the system is working, it is not, the PGMOL is not functioning satisfactorily to all the stakeholders in the game, and therefore Howard being the leader has got to show leadership, he's got to develop a pair, and he's got to do the hard things. And the hard thing, the, the easy thing is the media. It's easy to apologise. What managers want, what fans want, and I'm a fan, I keep saying it, is I want the referee who does it one week to be doing the same thing week in, week out, and all the group of referees, I know the human, and you know, it's a blank canvas when he blows the whistle to start the game. But ultimately, we want some level of consistency and improvement in standards of officiating. And we want players, referees, sorry, to deal with players who think they, they're, they're out of control. So if players are going to surround the referee, do something, <laughs> you know, but... Those gaps in the game that VAR create give a gap to the players to think, well, I'm going to question the referee and have a chat and I'm going to bring up the one before and the one that missed and all that goes with it. So it's a difficult area, but I think it's solvable. And I think, look, if it doesn't improve, I'll take the harsh reality. I think there are some good referees out there that can come onto the panel I think some of the referees that are on the panel need to be shifted and soon. Um, and if it's still not working, then if I'm the manager of a football club and I liken the manager of the PGML to be the same, the manager of the 21st team in the Premier League. Yeah. And do you know what, Harry? If the team's not working, I'll bring a best player in. 
And it and does does Mikel Arteta or any manager think I've got to restrict it to an English player? Why should we in refereeing not get referees from overseas, fly them in, just like you, Eva, and say, right, if we are the best competition in the world, then we want a cadre of the world's best referees. If we're unable to develop them, or we've got to go through a period of shifting a few on and it leaves some gaps, then just look at the referees overseas and think, I'm going to have him. Because what did we see a couple of weeks ago? Saudi suddenly say, we've got a big game. We'll have Michael Oliver. So Oliver went to Saudi to referee one of their league games. Plattenberg's been over there. Okay, he's now finished his active career. But the point I'm making is, this does happen in Europe, but it doesn't happen in England because we sit there and I think we kid ourselves that we have the world's best referees we used to have, in my opinion. You know, I, I ran the line for people like Jack Taylor, Pat Partridge, you know, Bob Matheson and others. These were top-class referees who got on with the game and I watched them. You know, I'd come off a game and, like, you wouldn't have the, the, the abuse and all that comes off. I mean, I don't know how these guys are living at the moment because they need support, they need guidance, they need coaching. And I, I listened to Mark Alsey a couple of weeks ago in an, we were doing a joint thing and he said, you know, this is about coaching. Good coaches can make players better. Good coaching at refereeing levels can make referees better. And I think that that's what needs to happen. If the PGMOL were to knock on your door tomorrow and say, Keith, can you come back in and, and help us with some some guidance, some, you know, some advice? Like, you know, we know that, you know, it's it's Howard Webb's time now, right? It's, it's his turn yeah. to kind of steer the ship. We get all of that. But don't you think, like, if you go back to times past where there wasn't such a big spotlight on refereeing, the reason being that it wasn't as bad as it is today, you know, why wouldn't you want those people around you to to help you, to guide you? You don't have to take on board every single thing that they say, but there are respected voices in this. And and I think there are people that should be a part of the conversation like yourself. And and the, the, the narrative should be driven, I think, by people like yourself rather than pundits and broadcasters who, you know, have opinions that often, as as you mentioned before, are inaccurate in accordance with the laws and and we see that so much and all that is doing is is increasing the level of frustration from between fans and officials you know the officials are sitting there going well you don't even understand what you're talking about yet you're publicly criticizing me and and the fans are saying to the referees well you know you don't know what you're doing and and, and the truth is there's never going to be a meet in the middle so if it were me I'd want people like yourself like Mark Halsey all respected referees of the past and like yourself former FIFA referee and, of course, um, someone who headed up the PGMO to be the go-between, to be the communicators, perhaps, if you like. Why do you think that the PGMOL are, are just seemingly not interested in that? I think life moves on, and I think that they, I think for a period of time, the, the, very, the very thought of me working anywhere near Mike Riley was a no-no, <laughs> uh, an absolute no-no, because I think that he, he you know... We have to think that he's the guy that's created the problems over a number of years. And it will take Howard some time to adjust. 
Uh, not for me. I, d I, don't, I don't need a job uh, in reality. I, I do think that there are people out there, you know, that, that are good communicators. And, you know, if it's an advisory panel, whatever it is, an independent panel where these guys can actually discuss with referees. You know, I, I just worry about referees. I mean, they come off the game. And I'll just go back to my career. I've come off a game thinking I've made the biggest boo-boo ever. You know, oh, God. And it's there. It's locked. I've let everybody down. And I've come into the dressing room and I've gone, you know, this is it. It's the end of the world. Because that's how passionate we are as referees. Yeah. And um, and then you've had the calming influence of someone who you respect knock on your door and a match assessor come in and go, hey, come on then, talk me through this penalty kick decision or whatever it is, that crucial incident that's, that's bugging you. And at times, they might have said, Keith, I think you gave up on it. You, you, you weren't in a good viewing angle and you needed to get a good viewing angle to that particular decision. Oh, by the way, it's not the end of the, the world. I don't think it was that one decision that created the panic. But I then generally left the ground in a good place. But what we've got now is we've got referees who referee a game who have then got to park it without reviewing it, interrogating that performance, because like the guy, it took, you know, he's refereed one day and he's at Stockley Park the next. No, I don't think that you 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 wouldn't ask um, a player to to play two days on the bounce because not only physically is he tired, mentally he's tired, and I think this is what we're doing. We're asking referees to do too much. Um, so for me, look, Mark Elsey is a guy who says it as it is. He's a little bit like me. He's not a Yorkshireman, but he. he he talks like one. <laughs> I'm being disrespectful to him. But the, the reality is, if he's not happy, he calls it. And what is amazing is, without conversations with Mark, we're, we're coming to the same level of conclusion on many decisions, on many outcomes. So therefore, look, Webb knows Halsey. He should get him in. He knows Paul Durkin. In, in, you know, he knows Graham Paul. He knows Jeff Winter. These are guys who, you know, say as it is. I mean, I, I can remember being the boss of the PGMOL, having a, a meeting with Steve Lodge, Mike Riley, and Jeff Winter. And I tell this story because Je Mike Riley had been confronted by a Chelsea player, and he'd asked that player to come to him, and he didn't. And the player made him look a complete ass. And a couple of three days later, we're in, we're in this group having a chat. And I'm about to address this problem that Riley has faced. And Jeff Winters said to him across the table, you need to sharpen up, Mike. You need to develop a pair. You need to get sorted because I wouldn't have allowed the player to do that. I'd have shipped him. Yeah. And... Those are the people that you need around you, guys, you know, not the ones that are saying, you know, the suit looks great when you're actually naked. It's like yeah. it's it's like on a playing level as well, though, right? If you've got a dressing room of, 
leaders that are going to hold each other accountable when things don't go right and call each other out and, you know, create that mentality whereby you're almost afraid to not take something by the scruff of the neck and, and make it your own and do it properly then you're going to see a drop off in performance, you know, and, and I can say that from an Arsenal perspective, because for years we said there was no accountability in this team. There was no leadership that's changed at Arsenal over recent years. And we've seen the difference in the level of performances. So you, you've made the comparison plenty of times between players and referees. This is another one, yeah. right? You need yeah. those people around you. Yeah. You need people who's abrasive. You know, I mean, look, there were, in, when I was there, there was probably three groups of referees. They, they competed against each other. They didn't always agree. They'd come in and they'd, they'd just shake their head. And you know, they'd go, I bet we're going to look at this decision made by you. You know, and it, it, it was a camaraderie that was a bit like, could have been upsetting, but it was down to me to actually say, right, I want an edge to that discussion. I want them to see what the impact is on them. You know, and I, I, I hope that that is still there. But it seems to me, I, I've, I've said it, I think we've got a group of lazy referees. I think we've got some referees who are not performing to the optimum level. And, you know, um, it's... It, I, the one thing is that I, I don't know who's measuring it all. You know, because ultimately, at the end of the day, they can't be happy with what's going on. I mean, my inbox of, is full of comments from overseas match officials, people who I've worked with. People are actually saying, crikey, what is happening to your referees? Now, in fairness, this morning, I've got some real positives about Michael Oliver's performance and the VAR in last night's game. They're saying... He was laid back, but he didn't. He didn't uh, spark the, uh, the 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 dissent and dis disputes. He tried to calm it down. But yeah. when he when the big decision needs to be made, he wasn't found wanting. He did it. What do you make of uh, another one that I, I wanted to put to you? What do you make of this whole? I mean, every every Monday morning, right? We turn on the TV and it's Dermot Gallagher or or. Mike Dean or, or or some former referee um, sort of breaking down decisions. But it feels like it is a bit of a, you know, I, I, how do I put this without sounding disrespectful? It, it feels like it's a club of, of, of mates that are on all the TV stations at the moment that basically protect one another um, and, and basically cover, not cover up, wrong to, I'm trying to be really careful with how I put this, but it feels like basically they're like a group of mates that that want to protect each other. And I, and I understand that when you've done the job, you'll look at it through a different lens. And I understand that there is, um, you know, this this natural instinct that probably kicks in to, to feel for a referee when they've made a mistake and, and want to articulate your opinion on that in a certain way. But do you think that these these guys being sort of planted, which is what it feels like they are in, in all the big media organisations is good? Because I don't feel like you ever get real sort of hard-hitting, cold analysis from them. Yeah, I think the same. Um, you know, um, I was there when Dermot retired as a referee um, and we found him the role at the, at the, at the Sky News or Sky, at Sky then. Um, 
And I expected him to convey accurately with his knowledge of law uh, the decisions that are being made. Uh, you know, it came to my attention earlier this week that two guys who are working for Sky allegedly have been told that they're, they're over-critical of match referees and could be quietened down in that process. That um, alarms me because ultimately, I do think in the case of Dermot Gallagher, in recent weeks since Howard took over, I think there is a loosening up of his role and an improvement in how he is conveying the decision-making process. We don't always agree, but I think this week uh, he was pretty pretty accurate in what he, what he was saying. Um, yeah, I think Mike Dean is Mike Dean. He's off the cuff, <laughs> you know. Uh, I think ultimately at the end of the day, there's got to be a balance. Um, you know, if we take, uh, I read uh, Mark Clappenberg's view on the Havertz challenge this week in the Daily Mail. He, he, he considered from his perspective, it wasn't a red card because he didn't get enough of the player. And, and that's the point. The, the point is that if you're going to make those level of comments, then I think you've got to be pretty accurate and go back to law and be dispassionate. And, and yeah, um, the reason they wouldn't want me back at the PJMOL is I'd be looking at a room and thinking, you should go, you should go, you should go. <laughs> and and the reality is they don't want that, do they? They, they want nicey-nicey, patty-patty, life's going along. But... We're the best league in the world. We have a requirement. And it's spelt out to me very clearly by Richard Scudamore when I took over the PHMOL. I wrote the business plan, which said, I have to create a cadre of world-class referees. And because we're a world-class competition. And we've got referees who've come on and, in, you know, they're not being used enough. You, you know, if you have eight games a season, I'll tell you. I managed to set a salesman at one stage in my career. I was a sales marketing director. And I used to sit there and look at the budgets at the end of the month. Who's getting me the sales? Who's not? Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of days later, you'd have the guys across the table. And you'd say, look... Um, Where's the shortfall? Are you making enough calls? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Then give them the training and guidance to improve. If they didn't, then they get a warning letter and then they'd be out on the rear. Um, what's the difference? Yeah, these, are now, these are it, now professional referees. It's the only business. It's the only profession, it seems, in the world at this moment in time that you can make mistakes every single week and never be held accountable for them. Now, is that because there is a shortage of referees? That's what we keep getting told. People don't want to do the job anymore because they get abused and because they get criticised and all the rest of it. Do you believe that there is a, a shortage of referees or is that something that is wheeled out as a bit of a narrative to, to help kind of pour some cold water on, on some of the, the anger and the frustration? It's an absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. We've got 27,000 referees, registered referees in this country. Yes, there's a shortage, but that's at grassroots level. When the Blue Boar pub 
plays the black bolt pub opposite in a in a in a grassroots game. Look, they they have every right to have a referee. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm president of a league and president of a club. Very proud. We've got 30 teams that we run as a club. So I, I understand what grassroots football is about. Um, I, I just generally think, you know, I watched a referee um, at the weekend, Chesterfield versus Portsmouth. I don't know the guy's Christian name, so I apologise. But the, the guy's called Finney. He refereed that game superbly. Now, I... I I put on social media, I thought the referee had had a very, very good game. Now, a Chesterfield supporter sat in that stadium is a guy called Glenn Turner, who was, who was at the World Cup running the line for Graham Paul, an outstanding assistant referee. He too, from his position, says the referee's had a really good game. The thing that I got upset about was that Glenn Turner... Who's, a, who's an educator, says it as it is. He's not involved in the PGMO coaching setup. I listened to Mark Elsey, not involved in the coaching setup at the PGMOL. Now, I've seen Halsey overseas work with young referees, developing them. There's got to be a role for people like him in the game. And look, if he says it as it is, don't be upset. That's like the mechanic telling me that I need a new set of tyres on my car. I hate it when he says that because it's going to cost me money. But he knows if I go out of the garage without the car with the right set of tyres, I might get crash, might lose my life and all. It's just good management, Aaron. Yeah, but and people, it's not people, there, is it? Yeah, you have to be able to take sometimes what you don't want to hear. And sometimes when you hear what you don't want to hear, you know, I get it all the time. I get it on this podcast in the comments. Yeah. Somebody will say to me, oh, you spent too much time talking about this or you didn't cover this in enough depth or whatever. And yeah, when I read it, I don't necessarily want to hear it. But then the next stage is, OK, but why have you said that? What can I do to make it better? What can I do to improve it? And and it gets you thinking. And you've got to develop that kind of hard mentality where you can listen to criticism not necessarily let it get inside your head and do damage, but you can allow it to keep you sharp and keep you on your toes. And, and I feel like what the PGMOL have created is this environment where it's, no, we're not going to let anybody with any voice from outside or anything infiltrate because that could be a problem for us. Yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, I mean, look, I can remember Sam Allardyce addressing the referees. You know, I brought him in. I, you know, I, I brought Craig Mahoney, Professor Craig Mahoney in, sports psychologist. I said, And he said to me, I don't want you in the meetings. I want private conversations and I, I want to deal with them. Uh, so I, I think that side of it is that you make use of everything that's available to you. And, and you know, um, why not bring in Kalina and say, right, I'd like you to come across for a week and analyse and assess our referees with your... I, you, you, you know, the, you're the chief executive of the of FIFA referees committee. Therefore, why not bring outside expertise in to try and help us through this difficult period? But the difficult period is going on far too long. Yeah. When you've got when you've got respected managers losing it and shaking their heads, and you know, I think I've watched over recent years. Uh, and remember, I had the Fergusons and the Allardyces yeah, and the Vengas yeah. to deal with. 
uh, I respected them. I think they respected me. Um, and we would have regular conversations with all the managers. And I, and I, I just think that um, Howard's got a difficult job. There's no question about that. He's, but he's, he's, you know, he's got he's got to do it. He's got to actually now say, right, you know, and he's, the sooner he starts, the better. The sooner he brings people like Halsey, Turner, another one, Winter, you can run through them and say, right, I'm bringing you in. I've got 26 million quid. Um, you know, I'll stop the bottles of wine and all that goes with it for dinner. Uh, and you can have bread and jam next week rather than the steak. Um, there are ways in which you can fund these things and need to do them. You know, yep. and, and I'd start by saying this. On International Week, yeah, you might have Oliver and Taylor out. You might have a few out. I think I'd be saying to the to UEFA, I don't want my referees involved in overseas games. <coughs> and I'd take all of them away for a week. And, and I'd sit in the rooms and I'd chat and I'd talk and I'd build confidence and I'd build a strategy of what we expect and what the game expects. And it has to improve. I keep coming up with questions in my head. I'm, I'm so sorry that we've taken up so much of your time, but I can't. No, you're okay. Things just keep coming to mind. Guys, um, we are going to wrap it up soon. So if you've got any questions for Keith, um, I've seen a few in the chat already. Please do throw them in the chat box now and I'll pick up a few of those before we go. I, I asked you earlier on about the, the apologies, right? And and the, the sort of public nature of them, the fact that Howard Webb is standing on a TV show and, and explaining some of these decisions, that the audio is being released. Do you think if you were a referee low on confidence, which I'm assuming some of them are, given the level of criticism that they're facing at the moment, do you think you'd feel comfortable with that, with with it being broadcast all over a TV show? And do you think, actually, while we're trying to appease the fans, we're, we're damaging the referees by doing that? It's a good point. You know, I, I, I you know, uh, if you've got a brand new car and you loan it out to somebody and he crashes it, you're not going to mince your words. I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, Harry, they're grown ups. They're getting paid a hundred grand a year. They're like a salesman who doesn't get the sales. You've got to tell them. And therefore, I think Howard is right. He's, you know, look, the play of the week show that goes into VAR has been a regular show that, that's been run in the MLS. Uh, with Pro Referee. I mean, I helped set up Pro Referee in America. Peter Walton ran it and yep. ran it brilliantly. Um, and by the way, there's another guy that's back in England uh, and having run Pro Referee in England ought to be not engaged with the media, but ought to be engaged with the PGMOL, his expertise to bring it across because he's, he's an excellent manager and communicator. So I think that, um, yeah, I think if... I think what you'd be saying, Harry, is this. If you're the referee and you're going to be scathed on TV, doesn't it put the pressure on you to not make that mistake next time? Yeah. This is just like been. this is just like the number nine who's not hitting the back of the net. And he goes the next game and the next game and the manager's trying to coach him and train him and, and he's thinking, look, son, you're not playing next week. You keep missing the back of the net. Or at that point, he puts an arm around him and says, look, you've got to be doing this. Yeah, and so you coach, specialise, and coach that individual. So I think it's important that there is communication on how they come to decisions accurately, and they've got to justify 
how they come to them, why errors are made, um, and then but what he's got to do is stop making those errors. Yeah. And and you, the only way you do that is you, you get the referee across the table and you say, look, uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to now give you uh, the appro- the appropriate uh, operational advice. We're going to look for improvement. We're going to watch you over the next couple of games. You're going to be doing some football league games to see if you get your form back. And and then I'll make an judgment. Talk to Andy Derso. Yep. Andy Derso was a pre- competent Premier League referee. He lost his form. I fired him. I, I dropped him down into the Football League and he became a very good championship referee. Matt Messias, an international referee, lost his form. I, across the table, I said, look, Matt, we're going to demote you to the championship. I'm not having that. And so he left. It, it's a, football's a hard world. We're not a club. We're not like a club friendly club atmosphere. We have to deliver performances that measure the requirements and aspirations of everybody involved in the game. Yeah. Here's a, here's a, a, a quick question for you. Um, do you think I've got a couple of listener ones, which I'm going to throw at you as well in just a second, but yeah. just final one for me. And I promise this will be the final one. Um, you mentioned there about referees going down from the Premier League to the Championship. Now, obviously, the big difference at the moment is that there's no VAR in the Championship. Therefore, do you think it would be helpful for referees to kind of keep themselves sharp if they did make that drop down a little bit more regularly so that they do continue to use their instincts and their own sort of skill set rather than, and, and, and I know you mentioned this earlier, that becoming lazy, I guess, because you always know that VAR is there in a the background. So could that be something that is implemented? Well, I think that under the terms of reference of the PJMOL, Harry, the funding partners are the, the FA, the Premier League, and the Football League. Those are the funding partners, and they rep, sit, their representatives sit on the board of the PJMOL. And let's not under, forget that the PJMOL board are not delivering. So it's not just... It's not just uh, Howard Webb is it, and the, the referees? It's the board, uh, so they can't, they shouldn't be happy and comfortable. Not like me saying that, Harry, because that means I'm not going to get a job with them anyway. But you know, reality... you don't want one. You're you're, you're well over that. Aren't you? But uh, but uh, but I, I I generally think that um, you know, under the terms of reference, we had ten Premier League games each each week and five football league games. We could, use, we could use all five if need be. When, and we could do that by a Premier League referee, SG1 they're called, coming back to a fitness programme. Now what they have is they have SG1 and SG2. SG1, Premier League referees, SG2, Championship. Both prof- groups of professional referees. So for me, I think the answer is yes. You know, I... I as a referee, I can only explain my own feelings, and that is this. When I refereed in the Premier League when it was first formed, and then I got a third round of the FA Cup that might involve a non-league team, absolutely magic. But then as a referee, I could be refereeing an international game on a Wednesday and on Sunday refereeing two pub teams, grassroots, because that, that's how it used to be. And that's what Webb used to do. Webb, an international referee, could one week be in 
Munich or anywhere else, refereeing a, a Champions League game, and that Sunday, refereeing some school kids. And that that isn't about arrogance or anything. It's just about keeping your feet planted and understanding that you're there to facilitate a game of football and allow the players to express themselves and you intervene accurately with the decisions to stop play. It, 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 it makes so much sense. It really, really does. Um, here's a couple of listener questions. Um, and feel free, if there's something that you can't answer, feel free to to just say that because like, I know that you know some of the questions. I don't want to put you in any awkward position, basically. But obviously, um, Mike Dean once admitted that you know he, he didn't do his job right, essentially, to kind of help a mate. And I know I'm not accurately representing that situation completely there, but it's a question from Amira. Yeah. Do you think people? I'm going to slightly change the question. Do you think that when people admit things like that? in the public eye it's kind of dangerous because of all the thoughts that people then begin to have about some of the referees involved in the pgmll and the premier league yeah i think it, i think i i mean I, I was shocked when i read that I, I i i don't have mike dean's contact numbers but i felt like phoning him up and saying where's the justification um it's lack of professionalism um and hopefully it doesn't happen that often but that, my, my worry and why I want an independent panel of VAR touches on that particular subject. I've been influenced by that. And that yeah. is, you know, um, and, and listening to those, those two shows and the conversations going on, which were chaotic, but they were also matey. And, I, you know, in a, in a world of a professional sport, you have to be extremely professional. Choose your words caref carefully. And be professional, you know. That is a push. I want you to review it on the monitor. Yeah. You know. Or do we go, do we adopt the rugby procedure? Um, I'm awarding a goal. Is there any reason why I shouldn't award a goal? Yeah. And a VAR comes in and says, I believe there's a push. I'd like you to examine it. Mm. I, I, yeah. I think that was a worry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Gaz says, um, how do we combat the growing conflict of interest uh, when it comes to referees being paid by owners of state-owned clubs working in the leagues of their home country? So um, this is in reference to to some of the leagues, uh, some of the referees, I should say, that have gone over to Saudi Arabia. And of course, you know, although um, it has been said that Newcastle United, for example, are not owned by the Saudi, uh, the Saudi state, there is suspicion on some people's part that that's the case. Are you worried about this thing? of Because the way I look at it is I'm happy for foreign referees to come here if they're going to bring something to the game. So should we have a problem with it the other way around? Or is this a little bit more complicated? I think ultimately, we, even when I sat in the chair, we had requests for our referees to officiate uh, games in Asia, for example, the King's Cup. Uh, Middle East um, and therefore on that basis with the approval of the board because it was me taking the decision I, I was saying I wasn't passing it on but you know I would say at the monthly board meeting we've had a request for this referee and at that point we'd say you know is that in the interest of the competition 
the, the, the first line interest isn't what the referee earns overseas. It's what he actually earns and delivers at the Premier League level. Give me, a, I'll give you an example. Some years ago, um, I had some big games one coming up, and UEFA started calling on people like Webb and Paul and others on a fairly regular basis and taking priority. And I flew to Switzerland and Neon at UEFA headquarters, sat across the table and said, sorry, these guys are now professional. I have first call on them, not you. Yeah. And I'll tell you, they were shocked. And I then said, it's down to you to invest in more referees being trained. Because at the moment, you, there's no investment in the training and education of referees from you as an organisation but you want to pick and cherry pick the very best referees across Europe. Some days later, I was contacted to say, right, we agree with what you've said. We're going to create the, ref the UEFA referee convention and we're going to invest. In, in fact, the first level of investment was 18 million euros wow. to create a, 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 a platform of how referees in smaller countries would be trained and educated and they created core, which was taking those younger referees into their own training environment in Switzerland to improve their status and performance. So I think that if the board gives the approval, fine. If it doesn't impact in any way on the match official. Now, from an integrity point of view, I don't think anyone that's a fan of the English game has any worries about the integrity of our match officials. There are sufficient measures in place that I put in place when I was boss to, if you like, secure that aspect. The other side of it is, of course, I also introduced the fact that the referees are not allowed to gamble on football worldwide. Yep. As a consequence of that, in the first few months, you can look back at the records Mike Dean was suspended for a period because he was accused of uh, using his image uh, in, a, in a betting environment. All investigated thoroughly, all proven wrong. And in fairness to Mike Dean, he was very accurate in what he said and what he did. So I don't have an issue with that. I think yeah. if, we're, if we're actually showing that we're level of... Uh, people going um maybe i'd ask for the fee and expenses to be paid into the pgmol and then i would hand it to the match official just as a so there's no money exchanging hands in the line so, makes sense you know yeah no that makes a lot of sense i think yeah i i don't as i say i don't have an, an issue with people going and doing other work you know i'm a freelancer i i, I know yeah. that sometimes that's what you have to do and sometimes that's what best suits you yeah. um and and that is absolutely fine I, I just think that we're in this and i agree with you that you know at this point i don't sit there and go the referees are biased like my first thought is always they're incompetent more than they are biased yeah, yeah. yeah. and i think that's fine but i also think there's a danger that we could get complacent around that and so oh. there needs to be that balance, doesn't there, of, well, you know, those checks are in place at the beginning, but are we continuously monitoring? Well, I mean, that, that I don't know. I mean, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> I, I defend referees' integrity 100%, Harry, because I, 
you know, I've grown, I've grown up with some of these guys. I know them individually. They're as passionate about the game as I am. And I, I want that message to come across. I've been critical of referees because I think that the problem is that they're not being stretched. They're not being driven. They're not being pushed in terms of uh, in wanting improvements. If You know if you're a businessman. If you decide, oh, I'm, I'm happy at this level of turnover, what you do is you can't stand still in business. If you do, you regress. So you've always got to be looking for advancement. And therefore, you've, you've got to say that with referees. You've got to, the training and education of referees is, is, is ongoing. It changes. And it's got to be an environment in which you improve performance. So I don't have any issues in t- integrity terms. I, I do think that, uh, you know, the referees away from the game do some really good stuff. They're, they're prepared to out of their own time, go and talk to younger referees and encourage re- young people to become referees. Uh, the very nature is that there's 22, a minimum 22 cameras at every game. It's broadcast around the world and they are the focal point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's nothing more that pleases me is when I can come off a game and think that referee's done well. And I think in fairness, although, you know, if you look at it from a, a microscopic point of view, there's people who will be passionate and disagree with my view on Michael Oliver last night, but I think he had a, overall a good game and I thought the interjection by by Brooks, the VAR operator, was good. So at least we did, after a week of a bit difficult officiating, we did see something that said, well, okay, we can do it. Yeah. And Oliver is our number one referee. As I keep saying, the, the tribalism thing is a problem. And and I think that it's important, like voices like your, your own, which are respected in this space. And, and, you know, you've got all the experience and all the knowledge to back it up. It's important that people take note of someone like your judgment of a refereeing performance. I think, you know, like I didn't think that Kai Havertz deserved to be sent off, but you've you've corrected me in terms of what the law says. And, and that's important because I could have gone off all week on the radio on on the podcast saying, you know, it was wrong, it was wrong, it was wrong. But th- that's where we need the right people, I think, to, to put the right messages out so that we can all sort of understand exactly what it is we're commenting on. Because otherwise this whirlwind builds up on social media, as you know, and it, and it can be dangerous, can't it? Yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why I think it's important that um, in Howard's position that... Uh, and even the referees that we 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 we're quite open about going into clubs, talking to managers and coaching staff uh, to actually explain decisions and run through. I mean, I I can remember um, many years ago when Fellani joined Everton. In the first ten games, he got cautioned yellow cards, spoiling my average because I was trying to keep yellow cards <laughs> and average at three a, a game. At the moment, they're about four point six, something like that. <coughs> and uh, and I had a conversation with David Moyes. He was very unhappy, and I went across to see him. And I'd looked at every one of those cautions very carefully. Two of them were wrong. They like management. Uh, they were the referee losing it a bit. Yep. So the ten were put on the screen uh, as a group. And Moyes was there, his number two was there, Fellani was there um, with an interpreter at that stage because he was relatively new into the country. The matrix was up and I went, that one and that one 
we are wrong. Those are incorrect yellow cards. I don't need to see the replays. Then we started looking at the others. And I'm saying that's that's an offence. So this is Falani tripping somebody as the, the attacker is going away. Or it's Falani pulling somebody back as he's going away. I explained this is a foul. It's stopping a promising attack. It's a mandatory yellow. And at the end of that meeting, we both came away. I certainly did. I hope that David Moyes did. Learning something about having a discussion. Because it was evident that the speed of the game at that particular point, Falani wasn't acting quickly enough. Moyes had said, I want you in a, a tight, tight space with this attacker that was against him. And it wasn't giving him sufficient thinking time, so he was diving in. Yeah. Out of which, tactically, Moyes changed. Falani didn't get yellow cards. Now, people say, well, you might have influenced the future games. The reality is, it was education both ways. Mm. Moyes explaining to me what was happening, technically, from a coaching point of view, and me, actually, from a refereeing perspective. Different eyes. We see the game through different lenses. And what we try to do is we try to get some uh, parity in terms of how we view incidents. You know, I smiled yesterday, last night, when the manager of Spurs said, well, I, you know, an offside seemed to work when we had, you know, the attacker had space. There was a benefit of doubt giving to the attacker. Because I can remember that discussion with Philip Don. He was the boss of the pre-general at the time, saying, look, we couldn't... we're killing the game. We're, t- we're knocking off too many go- uh, goals through offside. We adopted that. The managers bought into it. It worked. The only problem was the IFAB decided we couldn't employ it. Just like the 10-yard rule that we took from rugby and we said it worked and we had a, an experiment. Then the IFAB came in and said, you can only use it if you yell a card somebody. So... I think I think in I think in those situations, referees going into clubs with a coach and running through what is available, what's not available by way of challenges, is one way of getting a message across to try and avoid what what takes place. Yeah, I think that's a great example, a really great story. Thank you uh, for sharing it with us, um, Keith. We're going to leave it there. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm so grateful because. I texted you yesterday and I asked you for 20 minutes of your time and you've given me an hour and 25 minutes. So I'm, I'm so grateful. Um, the listeners were, were absolutely loving it. Uh, Joey said, uh, good morning, Harry and Keith. Great conversation at Creambone. said, big up, Keith. Finally talking sense. Shame that you're not still involved. Um, Wes Bird really enjoyed it. Graham uh, enjoyed it. Robert said, it's depressing listening to Keith <laughs> because it's pure common sense and pure experience that is not being used to improve the terrible standards we see week in, week out. Um, on, Robert. Thank you for this podcast, uh, says Theorat, who's really, really enjoyed it. And uh, and Gaz, who's a new subscriber here as well, um, said he really enjoyed it too. So, Keith, I, I thank you so, so Thanks, much uh, for your time and really, really appreciate it. Guys, remember, if you haven't done so already, leave a like on the video if you're watching us. Uh, leave a review if you're listening on audio. 
um, subscribe in all the usual places. You know the drill by now. And share it on social media. Share this episode because there's so much fascinating insight that Keith uh, has provided to us. So, um, yeah, we're going to leave it there. And uh, we'll see you all next time. The next show will be a look ahead to Arsenal versus Sevilla, of course, in the Champions League. So we'll see you all then. Bye-bye. Thanks, Alex.